This is 15 Minutes of Freedom. I'm your host, Ryan Idell, and today, all the way from Miami Beach, Florida, I have Jarek Robbins with me. Jarek, how are you? Very well, sir. Very well. Thank you for having me. It is beyond my pleasure. I, I, I was sharing with you just a few moments ago, I've been consuming your content for, I feel like, two or three years via Instagram, and then had no idea until I looked at my mailing list, right, all the, all the incredible quality content. I mean, you're just a content machine. Like, it's just endless give, 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 give. I, I feel like I get two or three high-quality emails from you a week. Like, it's phenomenal to see the, the value that you add to the marketplace. Uh, thank you. Our team works very hard to do that, and I, I work hard as well and pumping out great thoughts every day. The, the mission with that, so people who are listening, just so they know, is to help the people who need it most at the moment they need it with the message they need. I always say, I don't know who they are, where they are, or what they need, uh, but every day we push out good thoughts on all the platforms we have access to in hopes that it finds them at the moment they need it most. And, and it's beautiful. We're blessed that every day we receive little messages from around the world of people who say something as simple as, wow, thanks, I needed that. And, and something as deep as, um, one of the beautiful note I received, and I, I've gotten a handful of these over the years, but it was a lady who'd been deployed and she was overseas. She came back. She had crazy levels of PTSD. Um, and, and she wrote in this letter to me, she says, you know, uh, just about every other day, I felt like I had my firearm in my mouth ready to pull the trigger and end my life. And someone gave me a copy of your book. I read it. And, and I want to just say thank you. It reminded me of why I want to be able to keep living. I'm speechless reading those. I, I show them to my wife. I'm like, what? Like, what? What the heck? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> right. And, and you know, I've, I've, th- those are the things that really touch my heart and soul. And again, I don't know who you are, where you are, what you need, but every day we push out good thoughts and hopes to find you. And I hope it reaches you at the moment you need it most, wherever you are listening from in the world. Well, Jarek, I love that. And I would, I would love to dive into the path that you took to get to where you're at now, right? I, I think there's this perception that we all have this linear path. Like we were, we were, you know, at some point that I was 10 years old, magically, I realized I wanted to inspire and help the world. And for me, that couldn't be further from my truth, right? I took all types of twists and turns and, and skinned my knees along the way. How did you get to where you're at now? Um, so if we think of this, there, there's, if we, let's say you wanted to take a road trip and, and you want to, you know, throw the kids in the car and you want to go from New York city to San Diego. You want to take a, especially in the winter, you want to get out of New York city, get out of the snow, get out of the cold, make it all the way to San Diego, beautiful weather, you know, beautiful place to be. So, so you pack up the car, you get it all ready. Now, now the very first thing you normally do, if you want to take a road trip is you uh, plan it, you map where you're going to go. So you sit down, you map out the directions you're going to take, you map out which roads or you know, which path you're going to go down. You kind of map out the journey. Uh, the next thing you do is you figure out what vehicle you're going to use because there's a lot of ways to, to go on this journey. You could, you could do the David Goggins approach, have the hardest, most difficult, most treacherous, most, most you know, kicking your own butt trip where you know, if you wanted to do it that way, you would do a barefoot in a pair of shorts through the snow, uphill, both ways, middle of the Rockies, to, to just embrace how bad it sucks and force yourself to become stronger. And you fall in love with it. And for some people, that's how they want to go through life. Like they thrive on that. They live for that. They love the hardest, most painful, most treacherous, most difficult, most strenuous way to do breakfast. They love the hardest, most difficult, most strenuous relationships. They love the hardest, most chaotic way to take care of their body. Some people love that. 
awesome. That's one way to do it. Uh, th there's also a totally different way to get from New York City to San Diego. Maybe you, you take a helicopter out of the city, you land at Teterboro Airport, which is the private airport there. Uh, they, they take the golf cart over to the jet. You, you, you load up the Gulfstream 650 and you shoot on over to San Diego. When you land, they pull the car up right to the end of the stairs. You walk down, go straight in the car and the car takes you to where you want to go. It's like, wow, that's a totally different way to go on that journey. Now, that, that way requires different resources, requires a different way to go about it, requires a different mentality and psychology, requires a different approach. But both are available. There's also a middle of the, middle of the road. You could go on this journey. You could rent a, a you know, station wagon or a van, load up the family. And, and some people want to drive it. They want to steer. They want to guide themselves the whole journey. Some people will say, no, I'd rather sit in the back of the Sprinter van with my family, watch movies, and I want someone else to drive us. Now, I'll tell you one thing. No matter what journey you go on in life, you got to remember, don't judge the vehicle and don't judge the destination and don't judge the journey. Everyone's different. We all have our own vehicles. We all have our own approach of how we're going to do it. And we all have our own destinations of where we want to land up. That's not for any of us to judge. That's for everyone to unpack themselves and figure out where they're going, how they're going to get there and, and, and what they want to do on that journey and, and who they're going to become on that journey. Because every one of those paths helps you become a very different human being. Enjoy it more. Some of them are more efficient and get you there quicker. And everyone has their own priorities of what's most important. But I'll tell you, on everyone's journey, just like you were describing in the beginning, there's always the same things that show up along the way, which is unexpected twists and turns. Now, if you get in that sprinter van and you leave New York City and you're having a great time driving and all of a sudden you get to... Uh, Shoot, let's just say you got to New Jersey. You got to cross the tunnel, cross the bridge. You're, you're 25 minutes into New Jersey, not very far, and you get to a detour. And the first detour that normally shows up for most people on their journey is really simple. It's an external problem. Mm -hmm. So you pull up, there's a big sign that says detour. Do you go, oh, crap. Yeah, we're going home. Screw it. Nope, no week trip, no month-long trip to San Diego this year, kids. There's a detour, 25 minutes in, we're going home. Like, no, your kids will kill you. They're like, what? Dad, just follow the sign. Go around it. Figure it out. Come on. Don't quit. But a lot of people, we have a dream, we have a goal, we have a desire, we have something we want to do. And we get 25 minutes into our journey, we have one little minor detour, an external problem shows up. But I don't have the money for this. I don't have the time for this. I don't, I don't have the knowledge. I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Some little external detail, and some are bigger than others, little detour. And we go, ah, screw it. We flip the van around and go home. <laughs> Instead of saying, oh, follow the signs. It's real simple. You take a right, you go up about three blocks, you take a left, you take another left, then you take a right, and you're right back on the highway. No big deal. That's how you handle most external problems. It's a real simple solution. You figure out the three, four, five steps to solve it. You go and do those things. You get the result. You're on the other side of it. Now you keep going. But a lot of people will quit when the very first detour shows up. But let's say you keep driving. You're cruising along, beautiful drive. You know, you're stopping through some of the places. You're seeing the world's biggest boot and the most amazing ball of yarn in the Grand Canyon, all this stuff. You're cruising around the U.S. on your way to San Diego. And about halfway, three quarters of the way through the journey, all of a sudden you got your next detour. These are internal, internal problems, things that show up in here. Do I have what it takes? You know, your tire pops and you go, oh my God, 
Do I know how to change a tire? Do I have what it takes? It's nighttime on the side of the freeway. Oh my gosh, I've got a lot of fears. What if a car hits me? You look outside, there's no cars. It's just darkness. What if a wolf eats me? Oh my God, like we're in the desert. I've never been here before. I stand outside too long, a wolf might show up. Like wily coyote might pop out of thin air and just swallow me whole if I'm outside of the van. We start coming up with fears and, and, and thoughts and you know, limitations and stories and all this stuff about why we can't do it. Now, eventually, you get the courage. Your kids are like, or your wife or husband looks at you and goes, honey, do I need to do it? You're like, no, I've got it. And then you pump up some courage and you step outside. You realize as you step outside and look up, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, a sky full of stars. You can't see stars like that when you're in New York City. And all of a sudden, you're in the middle of this beautiful desert and you realize how incredible it is when you step beyond your fears. When you step beyond your limitations, when you step out into the open, all of a sudden you realize it's spectacular to see what life really has for you on the other side. So you fix the tire, you get past those internal demons, all of a sudden you're back in the car and you're driving. Now there's one other roadblock that normally shows up along the way or a little detour. You're just coming out of you know, Arizona, you're cruising towards the border, you cross into California, you're, you're edging into San Diego County, getting close to San Diego city limits, and then somewhere in the back of your head, you just think, is it worth it? I mean, was it really worth, was the juice worth the squeeze? I mean, is San Diego really worth the drive? Should we really have spent all our time doing this? You know, is this, will my kids even care a year from now? Do I even care now? We have this philosophical battle with ourselves that it happens every time we approach a destination that we've been working towards. Was it worth it? Do I still think it's important? Does it even matter? Will it matter in the future? Do I even care? Does anyone else even care? We have these philosophical battles with ourselves. And so if you want to know where I've been throughout my life, I've taken a journey like this, just like everyone else here. And I've had all kinds of different roadblocks that have shown up along the web and told I had six days left to live when I was only 20 years old. I was living in a rural farming village over in Uganda, teaching organic farming. I was there about three months into a six month journey. And one day, one of my lungs stopped working very well. And I was, it was, uh, wheezing, like <gasps> trying to breathe. They took me to the clinic. The guy said, you got malaria. You need to take this medicine. Now I grew up in Southern California where we think meditation and vegetable juice heals everything. So I told him, no, 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 it's okay, doc. I'll just meditate and drink some greens and that'll clear this right up. He thought that was the stupidest thing he's ever heard. And, uh, I, I thought about it for a while. He took my blood sample, put it on the screen, showed me I had 55,000 parasites per one red blood cell. He says, if we do the math, you know, you can tell me how you feel all day long, but if we do the math, if, if your math and feelings try to fight, math is going to win every time. So he said, let's do the math. Let me show you what this adds up to. He says, 55,000 parasites per one red blood cell. Multiply that out. You got about six days left. And I remember at 20 years old thinking that was not the plan, but that's an external problem. The next thing that showed up was an internal problem. Oh my God. What if I die? This was it? This is all my life was going to be? Holy shit, there's so much more stuff I wanted to do with my life. Philosophical problems. Man, did I really live? Did I really love? Did I really matter? Did I do something beyond myself that's going to make a difference in the world? Would anyone remember me? Does anyone even care that I was here? And when you start to mix and match all these little thoughts and all these little feelings, it brought me back to this same journey that everyone else is on. We all have moments that spark these same questions. So I had to step back and I had to make some decisions. One, how am I going to solve the external problem? You know, the malaria, what am I going to do? Am I going to die or am I going to live? Am I going to make it through it or am I, am I not? 
Number two, how do I solve the internal fears and doubts and uncertainties? There was one day where I felt totally confident, another day where I was crying. Man, being told you have six days left to live, that's not fun. That'll shake you, shake you up. You know, philosophically, man, what was life really about? What was I put on this planet to do? What's my purpose? What's my mission? What am I really here for? Have I done that yet? Is this it? What is, you know, what's most important in life? All these questions are stirring up in my mind. And I had to find answers for all of them. Um, from there, fast forward, I made it. Some people freak out. They're like, did you make it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm now 34, almost 35. So whew, anyone who was worried about me, I'm okay. I made it through those six days. I've gone a few past it, so I'm doing good. Um, but it was really tough. I lost about, I went from 215 pounds all the way down to 180 pounds within about two and a half, three weeks. My body just completely like shriveled up. Um, I lost a lot of strength. I lost a lot of muscle. I didn't feel very good. Anything I put in my mouth would shoot right back out both sides. Pretty graphic, but not cool. Um, and and it, was, it was really bad. It was a tough time. But it helped me to reset my values, helped me to reorganize what was most important to me in life, helped me to pay attention to the things that mattered most to me. And as I sat there with six days counting down, thinking, shoot, if I make it past these six days, what do I really, really want to do with my life? Who do I want to be? How do I want to treat people? How do I want to be remembered? What am I going to do every single day to make sure that just by the way I live that day, if it was my last day, I could high five myself on the way out. And I started to redesign something I called designing my ideal day. It was just a little plan that says, hey, if this was the only day I had left to live and I was going to get run over by bus number 162 this afternoon, how would I live this day to know that I lived fully? When life gave me the chance to, I squeezed life by the horns and went for it. I loved deeply. When life gave me a moment to love on someone I care about, I opened up every ounce of my heart and soul and poured it into them. Didn't hold one ounce, one millimeter, one anything, one molecule back, all of it was poured out. You know, don't let fear limit you. Don't let anything hold you back from giving your all. And finally, how am I going to live in a way that, that the memory of who I was will continue to positively ripple into this world far beyond my physical presence? And so I started to redesign my days to live true to those questions and live true to being someone that hopefully would make a difference long, long into eternity by just doing little things each day to make the world a better place. That, that's that, that's truly so beautiful and so impactful. I appreciate you sharing. I can't even imagine what that would be like to be 20, right? I'm, I'm 30, just turned 35, right? Middle of March. So comparable age, comparable things like that. And to look back, like I, I adhere to, uh, you know, maybe some of the metaphysics, some of the, you know, Wayne Dyer stuff, some of like, I'm just real big on, on that right now. And look at this divine orchestration. Like think of I, it's always interesting to look back and connect these dots of saying, man, you're in Uganda, you're doing some incredible things to benefit the world. But you had to almost, it sounds like, be shook into your core a little bit to recalibrate really the strength you put into the universe, right? The way that you're showing up every day, you know, 14 years later, almost 15 years. And like I see on your microphone, right? Like you'll see it as, as this airs, learn it, live it, give it. Mine is, you know, learn, live, lead, right? Is, is, is the thing that I adhere to. And just the recalibration, what's your thought process on the things that have to happen that we can't necessarily pick up on in the moment, but as we look back, that was like that divining rod of showing us like, okay, we're not off kilter necessarily, but man, you have this chance to go right. You should run right full speed, full speed ahead. Yeah, it's interesting. Those moments pile up, but everyone has those moments. They just don't all look the same. And every day is an opportunity to make a choice. 
a choice of courage, a choice of love, a choice of compassion, or, or, or a choice of fear, a choice of anxiety, or a choice of uh, moving away from what matters to you most. We all have that choice every single day. Some of them are big and crazy and audacious. Some of them are small and important and beautiful and, and little miracles in motion. And I think for a lot of people, we don't realize how many times per day we have those choices and opportunities. It's every time. Every time you open your mouth, every time you see someone, every time you're driving, every time you're working, every time you're talking to someone, every time you're doing anything, you have the choice to, to choose love, to choose courage, to choose compassion, to choose beauty, to choose being a miracle in someone's life in that moment. And, and it's always there. Um, I think the key is most of us like the fun stuff. We like being sunshine in someone's day. Uh, but but there's, there's a few people who pick up the habit of becoming the moonlight in their darkest hour. And it's like, how do you show up when someone needs you most and, and be that moonlight in their darkest hour? Be the person who you know, illuminates a little bit of, uh, of magic in their world. When they need you most, they need to be reminded what they're capable of. And we try to do both. We try to be sunshine every day in people's lives. And we try to show up and be that moonlight when someone's darkest moment when they need just a little bit of glimmer of hope to say, hey, I, I should keep going. And I've certainly been in those moments myself and I try to live in the sunshine as often as possible all day long. Um, the, the other thing that, that most people w will probably have to think about and consume is the, the feeling and the thought of having enough. Um, before I left to Uganda to go volunteer, I had taken a trip around the world on a cruise ship for 110 days and stopped in 10 countries for seven to 10 days each. Before that, I was living up in Canada doing a hard labor uh, migrant worker job of stacking lumber every day for three months. And before that, I was back down in San Diego going to school at the University of San Diego, which is a small private college. And, and, and so if you look at the dynamics and the breadth of experience that was in that couple year span of time for me, it was a lot of dynamic changes. It went from having a very cushy uh, you know, experience, going to a great school, getting a solid education. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm working with 14 migrant workers uh, up in Canada, stacking lumber every day. From uh, You get up at 4.30 in the morning, work out for a half hour, lifting weights, half hour running, eat some breakfast real quick, zip to the side of the freeway, uh, get picked up in a big van full of workers, drive an hour to the lumber yard, stack lumber all day, which is just pick it up, move it over, set it down, pick it up, move it over, set it down all day. Uh, these guys didn't speak a whole lot of English, so I didn't have anyone to talk to. Um, I spent every penny I had on audiobooks to put on my iPod so I could listen to it and learn something all day at least. And then I did that for three months, finished there, got on a cruise ship out of Vancouver, headed around the world uh, through Japan, Thailand, India, uh, Vietnam, Tanzania, South Africa, Brazil, Venezuela, back up to Florida, all the way around the world came back, was home for about a month or so. And then was like, you know, there's too much going on in the world, too many people who need help. So staying here, going to school, living it up while everyone, other people are struggling to get clean water or have food didn't feel right. So I packed up my stuff, joined an organization, moved to the village in Uganda. And now I was living in a village, Uganda, teaching organic farming, the local farmers, helping them retail their land and bring their soil back to life. Um, and English on the side in the little school when I, you know, on the weekends when I have, have fun, we go meet the kids and help them with English. And, and so all of that bundled up uh, was a lot of dynamic changes, a lot of difference in lifestyle and experience. If I rewind all the way back to high school, there was a, there was a moment when I'd wake up every morning and get ready for school. Um, there was a, a certain, it was MTV music videos. If you remember those, you will, but hopefully people listening will remember and my favorite jam in the world was Hypnotized by Biggie Smalls and Puff Daddy. 
And I knew if that song came on in the morning, oh man, I was going to have a good day. Guaranteed if that song came on, my day was going to be great. So I didn't want to risk it. So I, I recorded it on VHS. And so every morning, even though I wasn't supposed to, I'd put in the VHS and I'd listen to the same music video as I was getting ready, put my clothes on. And back then, a lot of my mind was consumed with, man, if I could just have that kind of stuff in life, then everything in life was going to be amazing. You know, if I could just have a car like that, if I could have, you know, friends that look that good, if I could have, you know, a, a, a boat and a yacht and a helicopter and a plane and all the flashy stuff they had in these videos, I'm like, man, that'd be having enough in life. And, and through this next couple of years that unfolded, all of a sudden I took a trip around the world, living in a village. I remember when I got told I had six days left to live, I was like, man, if I could just be healthy, that would be having enough in life. If I, man, if I could just like, just to close on my back, you know, a good, strong body, that's more than enough. And, and just a couple of years ago, I, I had this beautiful human, angel of a human show up in my life. Um, and and I, I was watching her from a distance on Instagram, her and her husband, just observing her life. And she redefined what having enough was for me. Changed my whole perception again at a whole different level of depth. And in her story, just to give you a short version of it, she was born with cystic fibrosis, which means at some point her lungs are going to stop working. And, and she went through life. She was an athlete. She was healthy and strong and all this great stuff. And at one point, her lungs started to stop working. She goes to the hospital. They bring her in. They hook her up to all kinds of machines to keep her alive. They put her on a list waiting for a donor. And one day she gets the call and says, hey, we got a pair of lungs for you. So they rush her into the, the, the surgery room. They cut her open down the middle. They crack her open, pull out the old lungs, put in the new lungs, sew her up, boom, close it up, put her back in a room and wait to see what happens. Because you have to wait and see if your body accepts the new lungs. So she wakes up the next day. Everything seems to be going right. Everything's good. And, and everything seems good. So they, they help her rehab her, get her strong again, make her feel good. And they send her out into the world and everything's supposedly good. Well, she's out in the world. She meets this, this boy. She gets all excited about. They like each other. Things are great. They start dating and getting to know each other. Everything's going good. And then all of a sudden, one day, she has this weird seizure and they rush her back to the hospital. And they check her out and they say, oh my God, the lungs aren't working anymore. Um, and I'm sorry, after everything we looked at, there's nothing we can do. We recommend you go on hospice and just kind of wait it out. And she was like, wait, what out? She's like, well, just wait it out. And like, oh my God. They said, and we've talked to all the other hospitals around here and we've let them know there's nothing we can do so they shouldn't try to help either. And so her and now her boyfriend or fiance at this time go home crying. And when she gets home, she goes, you know what? I did not fight this hard to stay alive all these years to give up now. Help me. He said, okay, what can we do? And she said, let's write a letter to every hospital we can get an address for and figure out if someone will help us. They wrote 100 letters to 100 hospitals. Four wrote back and said, we might be able to help. One accepted her and took her in, UCLA, bless them. And so UCLA brought her in and they said, let's see what we can do. They, they hooked her up to machines to keep her alive and make sure everything's good. So, many, so much time went by, all of a sudden she got a call like 2.30 in the morning and said, hey, we've got a new pair of lungs. They rushed her into the, the operating room. They cut her open, pulled out the old lungs, put in the new lungs, sewed her up, closed her up, sent her back to her room. 
I was interviewing her husband on our podcast. It's called What the World Needs More Of. And, and he was sharing a story. He said, that next day when she woke up, he said, I've never seen a smile bigger on my wife's face than my, her, my entire life. And he says, Not, I wish I could say our wedding day, she smiled bigger, but I'd be lying if I said that. He said, it was the most beautiful smile I've ever seen on that woman's face. The biggest smile I've ever seen. And she was scrambling for the board to try to write something. And, and she was scribbling because they have tubes down her throat to keep her, her lungs there. She can't talk. So she's scrambling to write something. And when she turns it around with this giant smile on her face on the board, it says, I can breathe. And she said, it was the greatest feeling she's ever had in her entire life was to have the ability to fill her entire lungs with a breath of air on her own will. She said her mentor who guided her to this process, this young woman's name is Kayla. If you want to follow her on Instagram, her, her Instagram handle is fight the number two and breathe. Fight to breathe. If you want to Google her, Google fight the number two breathe and look for her website. There's so much beauty she does in this world. Wonderful, wonderful human, her and her husband, wonderful humans. And so she said, you know, being able to take that breath is one of the greatest feelings you're ever going to feel. I, I think something that rocked my world is so many weeks later, everything was good. Everything's going good. All of a sudden, she started having weird stuff with her chest, her heart. They rushed her back in a few weeks ago, and her heart was starting to fill with fluid. So they did an open heart surgery on her. Surgery with the stitches straight down the middle of her chest. There's a tube poking straight out of the middle of her chest where they're draining the fluid from her heart out of. And she's sitting there with her glasses on, just smiling with two thumbs up. And it goes back to that feeling of what it would be to have enough in life. And all of a sudden, after meeting someone like Kayla, the realization of if you can put your hand on your chest and feel that heartbeat, and you can go and get a full breath of air, you have more than enough to do what you want to do and be who you want to be. Doesn't take cars and planes and trains and good looking people. Doesn't take even the clothes on your back or anything else. It's just if you have the ability to have that heartbeat and have a deep, deep, good old breath of air, you got more than enough to live a great life. And it'd be a beautiful example of what's possible and to help a lot of people. One of the things I admire about Kayla most is how many people she helps every day. She has an organization where when someone goes into the hospital, um, they'll, they'll post it online and thousands of people will write them letters. Feel better. Hope you do great. We're cheering for you. Draw them pictures, do kind things, and they'll mail it all to one place. And then Kayla will get it to them. And one day that person in the hospital will open their box and there'll be thousands of letters from around the world of all these people cheering them on and telling them they've got what it takes. And so someone who seemingly has been through so much hardship herself does so much beauty and so much good in the world. And so having more than enough is nothing more than that heartbeat and a deep breath of air and the ability to serve others and do good beyond yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's so much power in that story, Jarek, and I can't, I can't help but be drawn into what I would then refer to as presence awareness, right? Like just being present and being able to receive and also to give then in each moment where for me, I have a morning ritual, right? I have things that I do every morning to put me in that true sense of gratitude and abundance and to be able to pour out and be present and be open and what I found is, it, it seems like as I've been so incredibly blessed to spend time and share space with individuals like yourself on this show, that 
the most presently aware people, the most, you know, what quote unquote successful, whatever that could mean to someone listening, it seems like they all have something that they do in the morning to kind of guide themselves on this journey. I'm going to be presumptuous and assume you probably have some sort of morning ritual that maybe if, if we could be so lucky, you'd share with us what you do, right? I, I see the blue blocking glasses on. I thought I saw some sort of fitness tracker that might be comparable to mine. I don't want to say names in case I'm wrong, but there's things, right? The biohacking, the life optimization, the things like that. It seems like you probably have some pearls of wisdom that I would just love to pick your brain and know. Sure. Um, I like to share frameworks with people because I think they're more valuable than specifics. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer of customization for each person to make sure that whatever they're doing is customized for their unique situation in their body and their mind and exactly where they're at. Because something that's useful to someone who lives in Hong Kong and is a major worldwide global bank executive might not be as useful to someone who's living in a village in Uganda. Um, The principle might stay the same, but the actual tactic might be different. The strategy might be different. So I like to give people the framework of this. So if I were to draw this little chart here, and we got a chart, and we just put an X for where we're starting down here in the corner, and, and we say that you know if we go across the bottom here and land up all the way over on the other side, that's going to be an average or what I call the 99% you know, most people kind of result. And so if you sit down with most people around the US, if that's where people are listening from, and we say... Um, you know, let's just do a little scale, zero to 10, how happy are most people in the United States? Uh, maybe like a six, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven some days. Maybe there's a couple, there's like a, there's, there's probably a lot of tens, but there's probably a lot of twos too. It's like, okay, that's interesting. So the average happiness is like a six, let's say, if we're being generous. What about how healthy people are, like physically healthy in the U.S.? man, I don't know. You know, every third person is on some type of anti-depression. Every, you know, lots of people are, are obese and just physically unhealthy. Huh. Maybe like a four? Not that healthy. What about relationship-wise? You know, the old statistic said over 50% of people are getting a divorce. So that's not working out. Financially, are most people just like rich beyond their wildest dreams financially? Like, no, most people are paycheck to paycheck just trying to get by. Well, what about business-wise? Are they like thrilled to go to work every day and they love what they do and it feels like they're on a God-given mission to make a difference in the world and they just live to do their passion every day? Like, no, you know, most heart attacks are Monday morning, someone driving to work because they hate it. It's like, oh, well, Whatever all them are doing, I sure as shit don't want to do that every day. Like, I, I definitely don't want to land up here. So we say, well, what do you want? And we look at their dream boards. We look at their goals. We look at what they're thinking about and what they want. Most people say, well, you know, I want, I want to be the 1%. I want to land up there. I want to be the 1% of givers in my community. 1% of people who give more than anybody else. I want to be the 1% of people who are healthy healthy beyond everyone else, the 1% of healthy people in my community, the 1% of loving and passionate relationships and alive and all this stuff and the 1% of financial earners in my community and the 1% of business owners in my community and, and, and all this stuff. And, you know, you kind of scratch your head and go, well, what is the 1% specifically in the U.S.? 
the 1% is 398,000 a year in income. And I always pause right there because when I look closely at people's vision boards, I've still to find someone who wrote $398,000 a year in income. Of course. When I look at their vision boards, what I really see are these huge stacks of cash, these exotic homes, these crazy trips, amazing looking bodies. Like you don't see an averagely healthy 40 year old man with a slight bald spot and a nice belly and a cool beard. That's not what people put on their dream board. They put like the uh, abs glistening in oil under those sparkling sunshine pictures of what their body type they're dreaming of. And, and that's not the 1% of people. That's the, what I call up here, the 0.001% of results. And so what they're dreaming of is the 0.001% of results. But then we say, where are most people's habits? Well, most people's habits are right down here to the 99%. So they have average habits and they're dreaming of getting here. Well, the math doesn't work. You know, if you, if you want to argue with math, math is going to win. Because <laughs> if you're dreaming of trying to get up there and you, your habits are leading you here every day, it's just not going to work. Now, if you're dreaming of mediocrely happiness every day and a decent relationship where you don't hate each other enough to leave, but you don't love each other enough to be happy and your kids hate you half the time only and you make enough money to make it every paycheck. If that's what you're dreaming of, that's the goal. Hey, high five, keep doing, keep doing what everyone else does. But if you're dreaming of that 0.00 happy, healthy, strong, fulfilled, abundant, financially free kind of stuff, you're going to have to either one, change your goal or two, change your habit. And so when I look at these habits, one thing that we want to start with is if you want to be super duper healthy, what kind of habits lead to 0.001% health and, and, and vitality? Now, the first habit I'd look at is before the morning routine is the sleep routine. Did you get seven and a half to eight hours of high quality sleep? You know, did you get 20% REM sleep and 20% deep sleep? Did you allow during REM sleep your glial cells to come and clean your brain tissue and cleanse out all the toxicity that backs up in your brain while you're in REM sleep? Did your deep sleep help replenish your, your muscles and rebuild your, your body? Did you get enough light sleep? Were you, did you get enough total sleep? So I'd really focus on optimizing my sleep. Second, right when I wake up, I'd focus on how to train my mind to clear, and clear my mind and focus. You know, if you went to bed last night with a bunch of random thoughts that were just left over, it's like if you had a little can of soda and it had a leftover little quarter of the can from yesterday, if you woke up in the morning and it's all warm and lost its fizz and you try to drink that, it's going to be pretty disgusting. Same thing. Why would you settle for day, you know, day old fizzled out thoughts floating around in your brain? You need to cleanse those out, clear them out and refill it with something good. And so the first thing I would always do is meditate. I'd spend a little time clearing my mind. There's a device we use. It's called Muse. It's a headband. I got it. For those of you watching, um, I have the box right here. It's a little headband you put on. And there's those little gold things in there. Uh, it's a medical grade EEG scan of your brain waves. So as you're meditating, it's tracking your brainwave activity. And when you completely and clear your mind, good job. When you have lots of thoughts in your mind, you get lightning bolts and thunderstorms to tell you that you got a storm in your mind. And so it trains you how to clear your mind and focus, how to get rid of all the crap from yesterday and laser focus on right now, this breath, this moment. 
Now, they did this with a group of young people, little kids, up at a university in Chicago. For 30 days, they had these kids use it for three minutes a day, just three minutes. They did not tell them it was meditation. They told them it was a game. They said, how you win this game is by getting the birds to chirp, and whoever gets the most birds wins. For three minutes a day, they played the game trying to get the birds to chirp. After 30 days, they were able to massively reduce, if not completely eliminate, the ADD and ADHD medication with better results of focusing in school and on projects. All they taught them how to do was clear their mind and focus. Where this is useful if you're a business owner, you got to be able to clear your mind and focus on the task at hand while being aware of the chaos around you. Um, one of my clients who used to train the snipers for the Navy SEALs, you got to be able to clear your mind, focus downrange on the target at hand, and stay aware of the chaos. If you're not focused on a target, you shoot the wrong person, that's bad. If you're not aware of the chaos, someone walks up behind you and shoots you, that's bad. So you got to be able to do both. If you're a parent, you got to be laser focused on the thing you're doing to get anything done. And you got to be aware of where your child's at at all time, aware of the chaos to make sure they don't accidentally burn down the house because they don't know the difference. If you're a business owner, you got to be laser focused on the task at hand. You got to be aware of the chaos. Your, most businesses are about three decisions away from being out of business. Three bad decisions, you're gone, bankrupt, out of business. And, and so you got to be aware of the chaos, what people are doing around you to make sure they don't do anything stupid to put you out of business. And so it's that concept that you got to be able to do both. How do you train the muscle? I train it every day by using something like that because it allows me to focus my mind, clear it out, and become totally focused on this moment. Now, once my brain is cleared, I got to figure out what I want to put into my brain to take on the pressures of life. So I think about gratitude, my future vision, my 10, 20, five-year, 10, 20, and five-year vision. I read it aloud to myself. Uh, I have statements of who I am and what I want to do in the world and the difference I want to make, statements about my health and fitness, statements about my relationship, my finances, my business growth, uh, the impact we want to make in the world positively through the, the donations and things we have in the charity section on our, on our board. So we have all these things that I flooded into my mind and nervous system to take up all the space. Going back to that soda can, if we were to fill that soda can all the way up and then pressure seal it, now as the pressures of the world push in on it, it naturally has its own pressure to push away and against it to take on the natural stresses of life. If the can is half open and three quarters empty from yesterday, one little stressor can crush the whole thing. So that morning routine is meant to fill it up with the good stuff and then pressure seal it so you can take on more of the stress in, of life and be more mentally and emotionally resilient as you go through the day to take on everything you want to do. I love it. I love the muse, right? I mean, I've, I've been uh, a huge advocate, right, of the muse and its technology. I was one of the early guys on Muse One, and then obviously as Muse Two came out with the breathing and and heart rate variability and some of the incredible gifts there is, is impactful. And right, living in Southern Florida, you don't have too much of an issue. I couldn't imagine, but up here in Ohio, right, getting that natural sunlight in the morning, I do some some photobiomodulation with something like the Juve, right, the red light therapy, things like that, some grounding. Right, I just I I love your analogies on on that soda can, right? Because so often it's one of the questions I get from you know potentially you as you're listening is well how do you what do you do in the morning and why do you do it that way? You just literally gave the roadmap to me, like you said, to get to that one percent or one percent of one percent success is 
just those morning rituals. And again, some of the, the sleep optimization, right? Between setting that temperature inside your bedroom for that 67, 68 degrees, using some blackout shades, doing some things to clear out blue light before bed, right? I'd have to imagine there's got to be a plethora of different little, I can't even call them hacks, right? Just optimization, right? Which is so much about what I love on even your website, right? And your performance coaching and your business coaching and and really all the things you dive into with what looks to be a fairly elite level client, but uh, with resources for everyone, it's... Yeah. So with, with that, we deal, our personal client, my personal clients are the 0.001%. <laughs> I'd like to say they're the 1%, but they're not. Uh, they're the 0.001% of high performers. And um, it's a significant investment to work together. And we track sleep, nutrition, exercise, movement, mindfulness, sugar levels all day. Like we track an enormous amount of data from them. And the equivalent is if they were a high performance race vehicle. Uh, another thing people might want to consider in the morning is how they fuel their body. I remember one time I was at the store and I was buying a bunch of bottled water. Um, and this little old man behind me leaned in to make a comment. He said, do you realize, son, that that water you're buying is more expensive than gasoline? I stopped, I looked back, and I said, sir, listen here. I said, do you realize that my body is more valuable than a vehicle? Yeah. And he stopped, and he said, I didn't think of it that way. I said, maybe you should, because most people don't. If you went out and you, you had a 0.001% result in your business and you sold that thing and made your gazillions of dollars and you decided to upgrade your journey and you decided to go get one of those Gulfstream 650 ER long range, 80, $90 million jets and you want to fly from New York City to San Diego to enjoy this trip with your family and as you're jogging up the stairs, the pilot says, here's the thing, boss. Here's the thing. I wanted to save us some money. So I put some unleaded gasoline in the, in the jet fuel tank back there. But I think we're going to be okay. We cool? No. It's been $90 million on this plane. You put unleaded gasoline, you're going to kill my fucking engine. I'm about to kill this pilot. <laughs> That'd be pretty stupid. Just as much as, let's say, you don't like planes. You like cars. You went out and got a Bugatti, $2 million car. Yeah, this $2 million car, you freaking love this thing. And, and someone pulls you aside and he goes, hey, let's drag race this thing, but let's go faster than normal. I know what I'll do. I'm going to put jet fuel in it because jets go faster than cars. So if we put the jet fuel in the race car, that means that, that the race car should go fast as a jet, right? You'd be like, are you stupid? No, you're about to kill my $2 million car. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's just as smart as someone being like, hey, Here's the thing. I know this is a diesel truck. I'm going to use some of that Tesla fuel on it because I heard it lasts longer and it's way cheaper. You'd be like, what is wrong with this human? This truck does not run on electricity. Come on, get your stuff together. Now, the question is, what does your high-performance body and machine run on? Most of us don't know. We go read books and one book says we need jet fuel. The next book says we need diesel. The next one we says we need unleaded and they're all right. What I believe in is customized nutrition. You know, you believe in this stuff, I hope, which oh, is go absolutely. get your, your microbiome tested in your gut, your gut bacteria, go get your blood samples done, go get your saliva samples done, cross-reference all three of them and figure out 
what's the best fuel for your machine? So customized nutrition, you know, that was only available to billionaires, millionaires, pro athletes back in the day. Nowadays, it's available to everyone. It's an investment. It's a couple hundred bucks each. But I mean, you'll get really good insights on what kind of fuel you need to put in your machine to get the optimum performance out of it. Here's the other thing people do. Imagine we go back to your jet. You got this super cool jet, super fancy. You're jogging up the stairs in Teterboro Airport. You lean in to talk to the pilot and, and he goes, here's the thing, boss. I've got about a quarter tank of fuel from yesterday's trip. I think we're good for San Diego. Here's, here's the plan. I'm going to jam on the accelerator. We're going to take off. We'll run out of fuel, maybe about Colorado. But I, I think I could just kind of like float it into San Diego. What do you think? If your family's on board, again, you'd be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, pilot. Go fill the damn tank. But how often do we run into the house in the morning without putting any fuel in our body and try to just float it in until the evening before we eat again? That's pretty stupid. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not calling anyone stupid that's listening. I'm just saying that habit is not a good habit. That habit will not lead to the 0.001% of high performance. It will not add up to that. That habit will make you feel burnt out. It'll give you sugar spikes and lulls. It'll make you want to grab anything you'll possibly eat. It'll make you hangry in the afternoon where you're hungry and angry at people around you. It'll make you feel nauseous. It'll make you feel all kinds of bad stuff. That's a bad habit. You better swap that habit out with consistently doing what I like to call pit stops. If we were an F1 race car, there's always one person listening who needs at least one more example to, to finally like land the plane in their brain. So I'm going to give one more for anyone who's special and awesome out there who just needs another little way to think of this. Let's say you're in an F1 race. You know, you got a whole thing, thousands of people watch you every time you go out and race this vehicle in the Monaco Grand Prix and you come in and you're the driver and you say, boss, I got an idea. I know how we're going to win this race. You ready? I'm just not going to pit stop. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to slam on the accelerator. I'm going to zip by. And when everyone else stops to get new tires, to get more fuel, to fix up their engine and stuff, I'm just going to keep going. That's how I'm going to win this race. I'm going to get ahead of them. When they pit stop, I'm just going to keep going. I just won't even stop. If that was your team and you spent $40 million a year paying for that team, you would want to fire that driver in a heartbeat. Why? Because that's a stupid idea. What does that mean? Your tires are going to burn up and roast off your car. Your engine's going to blow up and be on fire. And your vehicle that you paid millions of dollars for is going to be sitting on the side of the road useless halfway through the race because it's going to run out of fuel. It's not going to be able to keep functioning at high performance. Yet, a lot of us leave the house, take one snack, snack on it in the drive to work, get to the office, work all day, forget to eat, and hope that our machine's still at high performance when in actuality, our body is more or less on fire, our tires burned off, and we're completely mentally and physically exhausted and out of fuel about three in the afternoon. We don't know why we have this energy lull. All that happened was you forgot to take a pit stop. Now, if you were to take a pit stop in the 1940s or 30s or 50s, it might take you three to five minutes to get a refuel. You pull in, there's some dude with a hammer trying to get the wheel off. That takes a couple of minutes. There's some dude slowly cleaning the windshield, some other person trying to pump some gas in real slow. And then eventually three minutes later, they get you back out. Nowadays, it takes about 13 seconds. That was as a couple of years ago, meaning the car comes in, there's a whole team of people waiting. It comes in, it's like, and then these people are like, and the car is gone. 
You're like, what did they do that? What did they do in 13 seconds? They changed all four tires. They refilled the entire tank, gave it some more oil, cleaned the windshield, talked to the driver and got him on the course in 13 seconds. It does not take a long time to refuel this high performance machine as long as you have the right team ready with the right systems and processes in order to get you right back on high performance immediately within a few moments. And so just like that high performance machine, we need to set up pit stops throughout the day for you to go from wherever you've drained your engine down to all the way back up to the best version of you very quickly. And we got to figure out what are the habits necessary to bring you back to life in those moments. So that's part of what a high performance pit crew or high performance team is able to help you do. So one thing you want to do in the morning is check in. Is my tank full? Is my tank empty? What am I going to need to have with me all day to make sure I'm constantly fueling my mind and body and emotions to keep myself at my absolute best throughout the day so that I can keep performing at a peak level? And all these things you've talked about, whether it's Muse or Whoop or Spire or Jawbone or Fitbit or all these things, all these technologies are very helpful to track and measure. The other thing that's helpful is having some type of pit crew, a group of people who can track and measure it with you and hold you accountable to really perform. Because if that driver is trying to drive the car at 170 miles an hour and measure his tire pressure and measure the, the weight and balance of the car and measure how much fuel he has left and measure how every other team is performing in this moment and measure how much oil is currently in the car and measure, he's distracted. He's not able to really focus on driving that car and trying to win the race. That's why there's like 27 people on a race crew because everyone has their job. Everyone has one thing they're in charge of and they're gonna be the best in the world at doing that one thing for that team to get that car at high performance. Absolutely, I mean this is just the most fascinating conversation for me to have, Jarek, because like I, I look at someone like Darren Hardy, right? The compound effect, where we're unpackaging you know, 15, 20 years of tools that you've got in your toolbox, as I call it, and you've carried around with them, and you're so proficient with the wrench and the hammer and the jigsaw, and, and these are simple for you. But as a listener's listening, if you were to take any one of these, just any one of these principles, and start to slowly become masterful at just that one before you adopt the other one, right? You don't, you don't have to drink out of this fire hose right now. It's, 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 it's sexy. It's exciting, right? Like, man, I just, I just picked up 27 pearls of wisdom from Jarek. I'm ready to go run. Your likelihood of my experience for success without mentorship, accountability, and a plan diminishes exponentially, right? Like, you get this false lift right now. You're super motivated. I'm going to go out and buy the glasses and the whoop and the muse and the, the aura and just name something. And then it's just another thing that sits on the desk because you don't have the pit crew supporting you to get to where you want to arrive to. That's right. right the so other piece of how to win this game is you got to make it simple. And there's a mentor of mine. We paid 55000 my wife and I, to join a, a group of business owners. There's 14 of us in our group. And, and we're one of the smaller members of our group. Um, the, the companies range from a million something a year all the way up to $150 million a year in revenue. And, and we're part of that group because we're there to learn from really smart people on, on what it takes to, to grow a powerful business. And we're growing ours right now. How to hire, how to fire, how to put the right systems in place, how to optimize your, your financial uh, spreadsheets and, and your P&L and all that stuff and how to make sure you're really truly optimizing the business just as much as you want to serve humanity. And it's a great group. Now, in that group, one thing that's really interesting is... Uh, our mentor, he was telling a story where he was in Fiji um, with his wife on this resort 
and he went outside of the door and he saw this little can and he just walked up to it and they were about to go on a walk together and he just kicked the can. The can flew about 15 feet in the air and made a little cloud of dust because it was a dirt trail. They started on their walk. He got back up to the can and he kicked it again. It flew about 15 feet in the air, a little cloud of dust. And he, they kept walking. He got to the can again. His wife grabbed his arm and said, if you kick that damn can, I'm going to smack you. He looked at her. He said, I'll kick the can if I want to kick the can. So he walked up. He kicked the can again. It went 15 feet in a cloud of dust. He landed up kicking that can 15 feet in a cloud of dust the entire walk. About a three-mile walk they went on all, all the way around this big loop, came back. He kicked it one more time, 15 feet in a cloud of dust, and it landed right back where it started three miles later. He said, let me tell you something really important. If I would have walked up and I would have wound up and put my best effort and I would have kicked that can as hard as humanly possible and I would have got the right wind and the right angle, is there any possible way I could have kicked that can three miles in one kick? Truth is no. No human way you can kick a can three miles. He said, but if I was willing to inch up on it, give it a good old whack and get it 15 feet in a cloud of dust a little down the road, if I kept doing that every single day, at the end of this journey, I can get it literally three miles down the road. And he goes, the same thing with everything you've learned here. I think it's what you were alluding to. If you pick one thing and every day you say, hey, what can I do to get myself 15 feet in a cloud of dust closer to where I want to go with this? Over time, that'll stack up. That's considerably the compound effect, but more or less, it'll stack up. 15 feet in a cloud of dust will keep you on the right path. And every day, all you got to do is say, what do I got to do to get 15 feet in a cloud of dust closer to where I want to be? And as long as you keep doing it, it'll get you an exponential result over time. Absolutely. Jarek, if uh, knowing that this is only a, a, an entry point into the in endless pearls of wisdom that you offer literally consistently, this all this is what I'm referring to it, it being a part of Jarek's email list and seeing what he's doing on social. Would you mind sharing where where the guys, where the team can find you at and all the different ways to connect with you and some of the things you have going on like over in, over in uh, Slovakia or Stockholm, Sweden rather, and, and just some of the different things that you have over the next few months where people could connect with you. Sure. There's a couple of great things that you can come check out. Um, the easiest for most people here would be to come and join me on Instagram. So if you go to Instagram and you just type in the name Jarek, J-A-I-R-E-K, and then R-O-B-B-I-N-S, it'll bring up my profile. You'll see this mug right there. As long as you see my face, it's probably me. Um, join me there. I'm on there every day posting good thoughts, doing lives, posting out tons of information. And again, our hope is just to reach the person that needs it most the moment they need it with the message they need. Um, if you like this conversation on high performance, come and check out our, our course on high performance. If you go to highperformancekw.com, um, you can get all the information, sleep, nutrition, exercise, movement, mindfulness, pure group, happiness, uh, Wim Hof's in there, Ben Greenfield's in there, Sean Stevenson's in there, all these guys, the names are very familiar if you love this stuff. Um, but, but if you go to highperformancekw.com, uh, you can get that program normally 200 bucks, you can get it for 10 bucks. So grab a copy of that, gets you lots of information, stuff, the kind of stuff you can use to every day get 15 feet in the cloud of dust closer to where you want to go. Um, if you happen to be over in Europe listening to this, come and join us. I'm speaking at a conference September 27th and 28th in Stockholm, and it's to raise awareness and to raise money um, for, for young women who've been through sex trafficking. We want to help them. And, and the conference, if you go to um, changemakersuniteglobal.com, I believe it is, uh, we'll get the links hopefully somewhere around this video so you can see them. 
and, and come and join us at that conference. It's a beautiful thing. Lots of great speakers all raising awareness. And lastly, if, if you want to just connect with me or get to know more about our programs or trainings or anything like that, uh, go to jerickrobbins.com. Jarek, with complete and utter sincerity and humbleness, I am honored to have got to share time and space with you. It means the world to me to have you pour into to everybody listening and myself, right? This is just literally a dream come true. I sincerely appreciate you, my friend. Ryan, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate that. And for everyone who's listening, thank you so much for taking the time to share a little life with us. Like I said, our goal is to reach the people that need it most the moment they need it with the message they need. I don't know who you are, where you're listening from, or what it is you need, but I hope you found it here today.